Welcome to the Africa Tech Summit podcast, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Today's episode is part of our Africa Climate Tech Summit series, which is kindly supported by Mercy Core Ventures and Pure Carbon in partnership with the 6th D. Stay tuned for great insights and a discount code to join us at the Africa Climate Tech Summit in Nairobi. My name is Boko Inyundo, founder of the 6th D. In today's episode, we're exploring Bitcoin mining in Africa with Eric Herzman, CEO of Gridless. Yeah, hey Boko, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm the CEO of Gridless. Uh, what we do is we we take um, small data centers and we put them out in rural areas where there's renewable energy mini grids or small energy producers, and we take up their excess energy, their wasted or stranded energy for that purpose. That's fascinating um, hearing about the work you're doing, particularly uh, your focus on uh, supporting communities in uh, rural parts of Kenya. I myself am Kenyan, and home for me is a very rural part of Western Kenya. I guess a little bit more context for our audience for how the Bitcoin industry and cryptocurrency industry can benefit from the work you're doing in terms of it addressing its uh, hunger for energy uh, and developing more sustainability uh, relevant credentials uh, as a global industry. Yeah, sure. Because I know it's not always at first uh, visible to people. So first of all, let's start off with, you know, how do people become part of the global digital economy? You can't have a 21st century economy without having power and connectivity. Those are the two elements that are needed that set the foundation on which all the other pillars are built. So whether that's education, government services, uh, healthcare, uh, new types of businesses, things like that. And um, as we, you know, for a decade, I spent time building into the connectivity on this uh, all over the continent. And, you know, as we looked at what to do next, energy was interesting to us. And um, we started having these conversations with energy providers all over and um, it turns out that mini grids specifically were interesting and the independent power producers who support them. And the reason why is that if you look at the, the African continent, we have about 600 million people who don't have energy, don't have any electricity at home at all. And there's been a huge movement over the past decade about how do you get more energy onto the continent, more electricity into people's homes. And um, the biggest problem is that the national power grids only go so far because once you start getting to the edges of where those are profitable and people are more dispersed, maybe not as tightly packed, it's not as densely packed as a, as a community, then it doesn't make sense for the big energy projects to put, spend a lot of money to, to build in the grid. What does make sense, though, is for small independent power producers to build a a small energy site. So this is usually usually under one megawatt. It can be it can be a little bit larger than that, but usually under one megawatt, and it serves you know a couple thousand families in that community around where that power source is. Then they go ahead and build out their own small grid. Um, as we were looking at it, though, we started having interviews and discussions with these different independent power producers. It became apparent that there is one major problem, and that problem is that it takes a quite a while for the energy usage in those communities to grow beyond, you know, using an LED light bulb at night and charging their phone. And, you know, for them to start buying different kitchen appliances, home appliances, and start doing more with the electricity. 
And that's just because um, there's not a lot of d disposable income. And so it takes time to build that usage of electricity and then the, the wealth that that generates. So that can take years, you know, five, 10 years for them to be able to get to that full usage. So in that time, though, there's this, there's this gap. There's this gap between when some new energy is developed and when it's at full use. So uh, let's say they could build a site for a megawatt. However, the community is only using 100, uh, maybe 200 kilowatts of that megawatt. What happens with the remainder? It just, it's wasted. There's nothing else to do with it. There's no industries locally to use it. Um, and there's no homes that are going to pick up that extra electricity. And so it becomes very hard for these independent power producers to become sustainable, financially sustainable, because they need an energy off-taker. And uh, so we come in and we act as an energy off-taker. We set up a, uh, a rural data center. Uh, we use our data center for Bitcoin mining. And we soak up all that wasted electricity and we put it to work. And it works out well for them because now they have uh, you know, an anchor tenant. Uh, it works out well for the community because it generally has an impact on the local grid as far as st stabilizing it, as well as sometimes lowering the pricing. And um, it's good for us because we mine Bitcoin and we can we can sell it on the open market. In, in regards to the, the global Bitcoin industry and what Gridless is doing, I think you know maybe what Gridless is doing differently than everybody else is just showing that you can do these smaller scale uh, Bitcoin mines in rural areas using renewable energy and what we're doing in africa you know we're in we're in three countries in africa right now and what we're doing here can easily be replicated across the african continent where it's it's desperately needed uh to backstop some of these small power producers but also is is a valuable way to look at how bitcoin mining can be done and energy can be done as a coupled coupled unit the way we see it is that in the future Bitcoin mining will actually be done by the energy companies maybe in the next decade. And so it, it does actually make a list to start thinking about the way financing of energy is done right now and how it can be reimagined with the use of Bitcoin mining plus energy being financed at the same time. Because what you start seeing quickly is that you can get a better return on investment for that energy investment and much faster. And it de-risks that early stages of the energy cycle. At the same time, it de-risks the, the Bitcoin cycle too, because who knows what that's going to look like in, in, in 20 years in the future. Whereas we know that there's always going to be a demand for energy. So, you know, if I look at the big picture for Bitcoin miners around the world, I think, you know, some of these large industrial Bitcoin miners who are doing 400, 500, 600 megawatts at a time, that, you know, those, those will probably always be there. Those, there's always going to be some of them. But the the value for Bitcoin miners might be to, to start decentralizing, getting more local, doing slightly smaller sizes, and still having a pretty good operation in doing that. Because you have both um, access to move to more places, you can deal with all kinds of differences that you can't do at large scale, and it gives you resiliency when there's certain things that go wrong in, um, in, in the energy markets. That's that's a really that's a very big ambition there, and 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 fascinating. You'll you you'll you'll be getting lots of learnings from what you're doing in Kenya as to the viability uh, of, of of that that future. Um, I I guess you 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 mentioned briefly the the prospect and potential for expansion 
across Africa. Um, are, are you operating right now just in Kenya or are you operating in other countries as well on the continent? And what's the uh, prospects for Gridless's uh, growth beyond beyond Kenya at this at this point in time? So we're in Kenya, Malawi and Zambia right now. Uh, and we're going to continue to grow in each of those countries. We do like East and Southern Africa just because they, you know, they feel similar to each other and they have a lot of the benefits of the renewable energy resources that are available. Uh, you know, you know, a lot of people look at what we do and ask, you know, you know, why do you do it where you do it? And why do you use that type of energy? And we do it because it's like, this is the best energy and it's what, and it's so available here. There's, there's a, there's a never ending supply of, of water, sunlight and wind. And uh, that gives us a great deal of, of places we can go and, and people we can work with. Now, you know, what's Gridless's ambitions? You know, right now we're really focused on East and Southern Africa. There's a lot of places to work. There's a lot of uh, power partners who uh, we're talking to. You know, they've been coming to us since they've heard about us and saying, can you, can you work with us too? Um, it doesn't really work well with solar because solar only gets eight hours a day and, and it just kind of extends the amount of time before you see your return on investment. Um, it, it can work with it. It's just a lot longer. And um, uh, so we, we tend to look at, at, at other sources of energy first, uh, being you know water, wind, and, um, and geothermal. Um, what, I, what I really want to see, though, and you know, we're part of this uh, group called uh, GAMMA, which stands for the Green Africa Mining Alliance. And what that's about is there's other miners in Africa who are trying to do the same thing, some of them smaller, some of them bigger. And how can we come together, uh, share our learnings with each other so that we can all do our, our, our work better? How can we you know, share information with suppliers and with regulators and everybody else so we can we can start seeing more of us because quite frankly, there's enough energy out there that we can actually answer all the demand and nor should we try because part of what we're doing is not just, you know, enabling electrification to push further to the edges in Africa. We're also helping to centralize the Bitcoin network and that's best served by having multiple players in that same space. So it's not just us alone, you know, it's five, 10, 15, 20 other organizations in different parts of Africa pushing it forward. And right now, the gamma representation is from Ethiopia, Nigeria, the Congo, Kenya, Zambia, and it's, and it's going to continue to grow. What are the stimulants for getting all of those different players across the ecosystem, as it were, into the room, uh, virtual or otherwise, to really discuss the net benefits available to all? Um, I'm particularly interested in how your focus is on those rural communities, which are often actually forgotten in, if you like, the narrative um, around rapid urbanisation in Africa. Um, uh, ultimately, stimulants are going to be profit, or um, are, are there other drivers that uh, some of those stakeholders are particularly uh, have a particularly pronounced interest in? You know, we we do take a, a stance that businesses drive the most kind of wealth increases, which then, you know, bring people up further rather than the aid industrial complex. So, you know, we think that by bringing business in that have a, a strong capital interest in what they're doing, coupled with power partners who also have a strong, you know, for-profit initiative behind them, 
um, can serve the the community best. So we we do think that that actually is what drives things. That people need to make money, and and that needs to uh, be something that trickles down to everybody else. And we know, I mean, just you know, this is not even from a, a Bitcoin mining perspective. It's just a, a general human flourishing perspective. Is that you know, with more energy, uh, people are able to grow well. And that growing of wealth is what changes lives and changes and develops the country. And so we need that to happen more. And we think that Bitcoin mining can be a catalyst for that. And that's, and I think that's, you know, a lot of the ethos behind um, not just ourselves, but the other members of, of the Gamma Alliance, which is like, how do you get, how do you, how do we, sure, uh, find more places that we can put Bitcoin mining that help energy producers? And at the same time, work with those those energy producers to make sure that the you know the the people who are able to use electricity are able to do so either less expensively or maybe it can go into more households now things like that you know and we've seen that happen you know um in kenya we've seen the price of power drop at the location where we're at because now they finally have somebody who uses the full capacity of that hydro site uh, in Malawi, uh, they already had a low energy cost, but the power producer, because they had been basically losing money for the past few years uh, or barely breaking even, they had not been able to uh, invest in expanding their grid. So by us coming in and signing on as an anchor tenant, they were finally able to you know, buy 200 more meters to, to put into 200 more households. And that happened within three months of when we showed up. It, it happened very quickly. So there's high demand. And um, and there's a and there's a way to do it that's just, just kind of net positive for everybody involved. That must be a particularly um, powerful narrative when um, right around the world, off the back of the jib, political context uh, in in Russia and the Ukraine, everybody's power prices have, have risen exponentially, uh, including mine here in London. Um, I I guess uh, uh, intrigued by how you build locally in a village in Kenya, Malawi, etc. Um I've uh, I've been running a family charity for over 20 nearly 30 years now that's focused on um uh, water and 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 really cleaning uh, water springs um for households uh, very very local level often you know 30 or 40 households around a water spring and it's often not running and the, and the water ultimately contains waterborne diseases that ultimately cause a real threat to life, particularly of the young babies and children in that local area. Now, as we've gone in there and really done the hard yards around providing ballast and and, and really enabling the water to run on a consistent basis uh, and then fencing a, around that particular water source to, to ensure, for example, cattle don't walk in uh, and defecate in the water um, in, in exactly the same areas you might be uh, getting water for your for your family to drink and, and to cook. Um, as you go into these villages uh, to build out um, uh, the, the the mini grids, what's your experiences of uh, of doing that? I'll give you one example of uh, our experience many years ago is where we came in uh, and and sought to literally provide all of the capital to fix the water spring, and we soon found within a year or two that that model wasn't working because there wasn't any shared interest. Um, uh, once we literally. Uh, asked the village to contribute a pound for every pound we put in. You you had that shared ownership uh, of, of uh, fixing that water spring, um, and the community itself looked after 
the war to spring from there on in rather than seeing it as, if you like, the property of, of, of somebody from outside of that village. Um, what are your experiences of building out in, in the villages that you've been building out from uh, in, in the last year or two? Yeah, first off, commendable work. Uh, you know, I haven't I haven't dealt with uh, the water cleaning aspects of of village life, so I have no idea how difficult that might be. It does not sound easy because uh, we don't have to deal with you know what's happening upstream or downstream from the site. Um, what I would say is that we work with power partners, so we we're not the ones who are actually building out that hydro. What we do instead is we work with the the power partners who are either have already built and have been operating there for a number of years, um, and or we work with somebody who's building a new site and we sign on as the anchor tenant. Um, but either way, what I, what I do know that happens both with them and sometimes with us is that we go and we sit down with the village um, leadership and the community leadership and we talk through it. And um, you know, I think maybe one difference too between the clean water. And the energy, the electricity specifically, is that with clean water or dirty water, you're still able to get water and you're still able to drink it, whether it's it's clean or not. With with electricity, you either have it or you don't. It's binary. And, um, and you know, that has a pretty shocking impact on somebody if they have it or they don't. Uh, you know, as you know, like what happens when, uh, you know, the sun goes down in a rural village is that things become dark very quickly. And as they become dark, you know, there's security issues. Um, students aren't able to, t- you know, to, to learn as easily because they don't have any lights. Um, if they do have lights, it's usually from a lamp or, or smoke from a fire. And those things then um, you know, cause health issues. So there's immediate impact when, when electricity is there and when it's not there. And uh, while there's, well, there's always, you know, a lot of challenges in just kind of aligning community interests uh, that can take, you can take months at a time to do so. Everybody does see the benefit of it and everybody wants it. And uh, there's no other alternatives uh, or the alternatives are, are bad enough that they are, um, they're very hungry for the new energy to come in and for their, the quality of life to improve. Great. No, thanks for clarifying on and your experiences working with those stakeholders yeah. to build out. Um, give it, give us a little bit of background to your investments to date. So where you're receiving capital from, if you can name uh, those that are supporting you, um, and then the prospects for investment in what's ultimately a relatively volatile market at the moment uh, and, and is likely, I guess, to endure for, 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 for a while yet. Um, give us a bit of context for funding to date and and future potential for uh, um, accessing capital. So our initial investors were actually from the energy side. Uh, they're, they're people who had been in the energy sector in Africa for well over a decade investing in different types of mini grids and in different types of uh, companies and services that were really related to them. And they immediately, this is factory, um, and Factory had seen uh, that there was this problem with these businesses and that they couldn't become sustainable because of that anchor tendency issue. And, you know, just a key industrial off-taker can change the financial dynamics of a, of a small energy producer drastically. And um, it, that was the biggest holdup. So what happened was, you know, they looked at it and said, you know what, if nothing else, this is a good experiment on if these types of 
small rural data centers that can be geographically agnostic, can be turned on or off in real time, can work for us. And so Factory came in, did our seed round. And then really within just a, a couple of months after that, there's a lot of interest from the Bitcoin investors. And they came in and, um, and expanded that round. So um, by the end of last year, we had, um, you know, groups like Stillmark, um, uh, Block, who led the last round. And that's what capitalized us to be able to grow into some of these new countries this last year. And, you know, I think what's what's kind of important to understand is that what we're offering, the model that we're, we're putting together here, is just as interesting to the Bitcoin, uh, you know, community around the world as it is to the energy community around the world. Uh, it really is a solution that solves both uh, both problems. Even those those two industries, they they kind of know each other because you know they're intimately tied to each other. Bitcoin mining needs electricity. Um, what hadn't really been explored was in these in these countries that don't have really good energy interconnects or or good reach of their national grids. What Bitcoin mining allows you to do is is do um, that real time demand leveling that's needed in these in these um, in these rural strain of energy sites and, and i guess what, one of the things that's maybe a little technical for people to understand is let's say and let's actually just break down an actual site uh, i can get back to the investors in a second but i just want to go on this little journey to, to help people understand let's say you have a 100 kilowatt um, site and the community uses 30 of it most of the day at night or early in the morning they might ha- you might have a spike so for two or three hours where they use 60 kilowatts so um, at any given time, you're going to have, if you've done the math on that, you have at least a, a 60 kilowatt spike. That means there's maybe 40 kilowatts left over. We can keep our, our computers running, our servers running to use the 40 kilowatts kind of 24-7. But then what we do is we actually build it so that we can, we can use up to, let's say, 70 kilowatts. And then when anybody turns on an appliance or maybe a, a maize mill, a bushel mill, or you know the, the local phone tower, you know, turns on or off, what happens is um, there's a spike, right? So as soon as that spike happens, like literally within milliseconds, we turn in, we turn our computers off. So one, two or three or four or 10 or a dozen computers get turned off so that it does real-time demand leveling of that grid. And that, that means that the community, the business off-takers around always get first energy. We only get the stranded energy. We only get the energy that was going to go to waste. And but that also means that it stabilizes that that power producer. They're able to run their their turbine uh, and their generators at the at a standard speed the whole time, and not have the fluctuations that you would get from that kind of grid um, activity. And it has a huge so it has a huge impact for energy producers, right? So it's it's surprising to us that energy uh, energy investors just as interested in what we do as Bitcoin investors. And you asked also, what what does it look like in the future? So right now, we're looking at what would it look like for us to expand and and, and grow. Um, we're gonna, you know, what we haven't done yet is invest in energy. We've only we've only invested in the Bitcoin mining with energy partners. But one of the big problems in this space, as I'm sure you're you're already aware, is that it takes years for these small energy producers to get the financing that they need sometimes five to seven years before they can even break ground and start building. 
uh, just because the way that people look at this space is they know that it's going to be a long road, if ever, to profitability for a small energy producer. So what happens is we can come in and we say, hey, listen, why don't we bundle the Bitcoin mining with the energy production and take an equity stake in some of that energy? We'll bring in capital, too, for that. And uh, um, so the, the round that we're looking to raise next will be with the um, with the capacity for us to use some of our own money to put towards energy development and therefore energy you know, ownership equity in that energy space so that you know we can we can be true partners with those energy producers and also be completely aligned on the revenues that come from it that you know de-risk you know the short and long-term vision of that future wow um again a a, a big play in terms of not just your immediate profitability, but also sustaining that profitability over time. Join us at the Africa Climate Tech and Investment Summit in February, part of Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects. Please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code GREEN, that's G-R-E-E-N, and receive a discount off delegate passes. I guess... uh out of interest is is that model then also inviting some of that equity into the community in which you're operating um or is that a a, a, a more complex affair so it, it does depend it, um it, like in in malawi there's um local ownership in that energy in kenya and one of the sites we're at there that's just a, a company ownership right so it can it can definitely involve the local community and there's a I think there's added benefit to that um, just because you get more buy-in. People see returns on that at the local level. They can make decisions on where some of that uh, profitability goes to, uh, whether it's local schools or um, roads or things like that. It's it's kind of, it allows them to have a little bit more freedom. Now we don't right now have any ability to dictate that, but yeah, you know, in the future, if we have the ability to put equity in so capital in and own equity in these energy sites, we could. And um, and that would give us a lot yeah. of um, a lot of options. No, fascinating, fascinating. My next question is really going to revolve around the capability in-house at Gridless and where you see um, either a uniqueness around uh, the building out in places like Kenya or Malawi or uh, just generally where you feel um, there's potential for enhancing the operation. So it's really looking at key success factors and the key success factors for Gridless, uh, there'll be be several, um, but they may fall into quadrants around your people, um, your operations, the marketing, um, of, of, of your solution to your various, uh, prospective stakeholders. Obviously, we just touched on the finances and, and the investment capital side of things. Um, uh, where, 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 where do you see, um, talent, for example, playing, playing a real role in scaling, um, uh, Bitcoin mining in Africa, um, in, in places like Kenya? Cause, uh, the, the, there's, um, a lot written about um, just how much uh, Bitcoin is used, um, albeit at, at, at lower stakes um, across the African continent. Um, what's your vision for this particular uh, industry's uh, potential to scale based on, if you like, the local resource um, uh, available to you in places like Kenya and Malawi? 
Yeah. So um, there's a there's a pretty broad set of answers. Let me just start with a few of them. So first of all, I think that the the usage of Bitcoin across Africa, you know, most likely using the Lightning Network, has a huge amount of growth to be had. There's a there's a big need for it already, and uh, I think that will only continue to grow. And you know, both at the business level and at the individual level. And there's other companies who are working on that. You know, there's uh, Machinkura out of South Africa who's doing a good job. There's Bitnob out of Nigeria. Uh, there's there's uh, TapSwap out of Kenya. Each of them are building different apps and services to allow ordinary people get access to Bitcoin and then start using it. Uh, we don't we don't do that, of course. Um, though we'd love to see it being used to pay for their energy, for example. I think there's a really big benefit in the future. Um, especially outside of Kenya, where we have a very robust mobile money system, but you know, in other countries, Malawi, Zambia, um, you know, these these different places, there's there's a real use case for people being able to use Lightning to pay for their energy, and the the energy, uh, the local energy company receiving that and being able to use that for their operations and um, and cashing out into local currency when they need to and things like that. So I think there's a there's a whole other conversation to be had about how do you create. Um, the usage of Bitcoin um, locally and by businesses and individuals, um, and tie it into the energy sector because I think it's a it's a strong one. Um, what I'd say with about us at Gridless and how we see the world and maybe some of our um, competitive advantage is that our history is one of building connectivity for a decade before this, uh, building hardware from scratch, so from the circuit boards up, and also from rolling it out as infrastructure across both rural and urban locations and so we have a we have this capacity um just because we have this history to to do things that are maybe a little bit more complicated um, than it would be for most people and most teams uh and, and to give you an idea of what that looks like it means like what we've been able to do to to deal with some of the challenges in both environment and uh, business uh in africa is yeah, we were looking at you know importing Bitcoin mining containers, so the, the the containerized data centers from either China, Europe, US, and we started to do the math, and we quickly realized that import duties and you know the regulations around that were going to be very expensive. So we started making those containers ourselves. You know, not everybody could do that, but we have the mechanical engineering, electrical engineering in in house to be able to do that and experience building stuff together as a team, and so. Within just a couple of weeks, we had our, our first container built. We went through a couple of revisions on it. And then we shipped it 2,000 kilometers down to Zambia and deployed it. And it works great. And, um, you know, the ability to be able to do that kind of thing is, um, is, is fantastic. And it helps us to keep our costs low, run a lean team, but also be able to kind of fulfill the, like the whole stack of, of requirements for a company to work like this in Africa instead of, re, instead of requiring us to just be able to deal with international suppliers. And it also provides more local jobs and it keeps that money in country. Um, now, the, the second reason why I think what we're doing is a little, little unique and is also important for, for the rest of the community of people trying to do Bitcoin mining is, you know, when we come up with uh, models or we come up with um, new ways of doing things, we actually open source those to everybody else. So uh, a couple months ago, we released a document about energy and Bitcoin mining in Africa, explaining how Bitcoin mining is actually that missing piece that allows small energy providers uh, and producers to to build and do it profitably in Africa. 
Um, what's coming up next is the actual blueprints for our containers. We're open sourcing those so that anybody else can build them locally too. And um, they don't need to either purchase them from, you know, some other part of the world, um, as long as they had a mechanical and electrical engineering know-how in their own country. Um, so, and then I guess maybe there's a, a third a third way that we we differentiate, and that's just, you know, having, um, like I said, having that experience to do infrastructure in Africa and be able to go out there. You know, Africa is, you know, unique in each country. Each country has its own variables. But being able to have a network of people we already know in these countries, being able to land, um, get our hands dirty and do the work ourselves. Um, there's nobody who has just a simple desk job at Gridless. We all get our hands dirty, whether it's turning a screwdriver, um, carrying miners from place to place, like we all do, we all do it. And so that allows us to have a, a the ability to operate and, and execute in countries that might be hard for other people to do so. Fantastic. So you're really you know, growing the, the, the internal capability um, uh, within Kenya and its talent, uh, uh, as well as, um, yeah, generating uh, sustainable uh, means of um, accessing your electricity at a local level to enable you to do uh, really you know life's everyday uh, things for you know whether it's you know accessing uh, keeping your food for longer in fridges or or charging your mobile phone um, uh, you know it's uh, the, the 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 need and the demand is there um, I, I guess uh, to be glass half empty now um, and look at the threats to the business model um in a sense it's the what's keeping you awake at night eric question um what one or two uh issues do you see um con- constraining gridless's growth uh, and and i guess it would be useful to know what you're doing to navigate those yeah i think there's probably two that are outstanding uh one is just the bitcoin market and its volatility we have to you know it has 14 15 years of good proof points of, of how it works and it's been it's been good right if you're a bitcoin miner but it does go through cycles and um and you know whether it's the bitcoin price or it's the price of the of the asics the servers that that do the bitcoin mining um you know those those variables can can change and they can change drastically and when they do you have to make sure that you built for that low water mark so when that water when that water that tide goes out right um you know you quickly see who's been swimming with a swimsuit and who's naked as as well as as warren buffett likes to say so um you know i think that's that's very true with bitcoin mining and it cycles and you know we have to run a lean team in order to make sure that we don't get caught out uh when the tide goes out and um and that's always a danger for us and one of the part of the cycle for bitcoin mining is that every four years the bitcoin reward is halved so that's the amount of bitcoin that's given out as a reward every 10 minutes so because all new Bitcoin enters into the global market through Bitcoin miners. And that means that your your, your revenue, in other words, is halved uh, every four years. So in about April next year, we should we're expecting the next halving. And, you know, we're right now every 10 minutes, six and a quarter Bitcoin are are, are released. Um, you know, next year uh, in April, we'll get down to a three and an eighth. And it's going to be you know, just a little bit tighter for everybody. And so you have to have built your business with that in mind. 
Um, so that's one. That's one area. It's just you know the the volatility and um, the, the the cyclical nature of, of the Bitcoin industry. Um, the second thing that we have to think about and is part of the reason why we're in more than one country right now is the just the regulatory or political risk in any given country. Um, if something changes rapidly in a country, we may not be able to work there anymore, and we need to make sure that we have. You know, really, just some place we can work on to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, which is one of the reasons why Gamma exists, is so that 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 information on how this is actually helpful for the industry, the research, um, is made available to regulators so they can see that and understand it. Um, but even then, sometimes it goes sideways, right? Maybe it's a political reason, and um, and we need to make sure that we have enough geographic spread that we're able to to manage that that type of, uh, of that, that type of risk. And uh, so I guess those are the two big ones that, that keep me at night. No, that's a fair point. It's, it's the, the, the latter point around political risk, particularly um, uh, big news at the moment, if you look at the Sahel um, in North and West Africa and, and the coup d'etats that seem to be taking place on a weekly basis. I mean, that's that's a sort of uh, uh, major um, uh, uh, turning point that can really bring bring challenges not just to business like yours but to, uh, to to all businesses operating in environments like that um from from a regulatory point of view um what what are the big issues you see as uh, either barriers or or, or 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 where places like kenya offer you if you like the space to operate and to test and develop and learn um so kind of would any pro-innovation uh, policies um, uh, come to mind that you'd celebrate, or are there any policy dimensions that you think urgently need to evolve in order to allow a business like yours and Bitcoin mining in Africa to really flourish? Well, I, maybe not for the Bitcoin mining side as much as just the Bitcoin as a whole. I think the regulatory side that is um, important here is is the understanding of Bitcoin as a commodity and not a security. And as you know, we're seeing a couple countries now try and create some crypto regulation. They're lumping in Bitcoin with all of the other crypto, and it's it's just not like the other crypto. It's not a you know centrally managed um, uh, security, and in in. It, it is a decentralized, nobody runs it commodity, and, um, and that that different that that distinction is important for lawmakers to understand and then to work with, because the value of, of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining is, is something that can really help a country and can um, provide a lot of benefits to both the the general uh, population as well as the businesses in the country. So, um, you know, I think that's that. The, the problem with this is that it's, you know, there's been this, you know, over the over the years, there's been this conf- conflation of those of the terminology. And so it's hard for lawmakers to kind of dig into it and get into the right thing because there's lobbyists from every side coming at at them. And um, and so education on the on the regulatory side is probably the most most important so that the lawmakers are able to understand what's going on, what are the benefits, and and then how, how to draw the lines to make sure that if there's going to be some codified regulation around it, that is done in a way that's actually helpful for the country and not just some knee-jerk reaction 
based on what they saw Europe or the US do. You mentioned real-time demand leveling, um, and I'll need that unpacked a little bit to just appreciate what the what you're what what you're doing at Gridless to enable that, uh, and what sits beneath that, whether it's technological or operational. Um, uh, give us a little bit more context for, for for that, please. Yeah, so real-time demand leveling is when there's a demand on the grid, and the the off taker like ourselves or even the big ones are, are you know they power down they self curtail uh, their their power needs so that others can use that power instead um, and what you see that what you hear this talked about the most is either in like uh, the U.S. and Texas specifically or in Sweden where they where they have programs where organizations um, like like Bitcoin miners who use a lot of energy um, if the price of of the price, and this is important thing, the price of energy starts to spike in that market, uh, they can turn down their machines and and then that makes more electricity become available in the market and decreases that price again. And um, they get paid to do so. And um, what we've done is you know, at Gridless, what we do instead is we don't we don't manage this based on price. Uh, we don't get any benefit for turning off our machines. We just don't make money during that time from those machines. Instead, what we do is we look at the usage in the community and we respond in real time. So, if a you know uh, you know if a if a business turns on a, a, some type of machine and it has a spike, we automatically detect that uh, from the frequency meter that we put on the generator, and we reduce uh, maybe the use of three, four, or five miners at that time. But what we also do is, uh, which is related to this real-time demand leveling, is supply optimization, which we also put meters on the forebay of the of the water, so for the hydro uh, pipes. And we can then understand how much water is available, and we can either decrease or increase the number of Bitcoin miners that are on in real time to uh, to better optimize the flow of water into the turbine that runs the generator. So really what we're looking at is both both sides, right? So both the, the supply side understanding and the demand side understanding, and then having our software you know, fluctuate the, the number of machines that are running at any given time. And um, this, is, this is fairly innovative new tech. There's not a lot of people doing this around the world that we know of. And, um, and it's, it's both the hardware of the, of the, the sensors, as well as the, the software written, the, you know, the code that we write to be able to manage these things in, in, in real time. And sometimes it's, you know, between milliseconds that it takes us to, to change what's going on. And, um, and it has this huge benefit. Like, you know, you should see the eyes light up of the, uh, of the power producer that we work with when they see this happening because all of a sudden they can see real efficiency real usage of all the energy that they create and um, it has real benefits to the to the grid and the community as well because it's it's so closely maps against what's going on with that grid usage that the grid stabilizes and you'll see places that used to have you know might be a five minute outage every day or every couple of days go for weeks without any outages and so real-time demand leveling is something that we, we use very, very heavily in what we do. And I think the software and the IP we're building around that is, is valuable. And I, I think that it's going to be uh, a model that's used by quite a few people in the future. That's brilliant. You, you almost feel that it, it can play a role in reinforcing brand reputation if, if your partner is working with somebody like, like you who's innovating at that level. Um, 
you know, if you're if you've got that flexibility that responds to both the demand side, so how much the village is using at any one time or during the course of the day or over the course of 10 years and or, you know, the run of the water uh, during a, you know, a rainy season or a dry season. Um, it, it, it's uh, I, I can see that from a partnership point of view being reputationally really quite um, optimal. And, and, and again, it's... Uh, it's coders on the ground in places like Kenya. Um, so again, uh, learning as you go, but also reinforcing the talent that you're working with um, to enable that efficiency and, 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 and driving that benefit into the, the, the partner relationship. So brilliant. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's all guys on the ground here that write the software. Um, and, you know, it was not a lot of us. So, you know, we had a couple engineers and, you know, both hardware and software engineers kind of uh, making these things work. And, and you know, we've got to go through the whole R&D and experiment experimentation phase that everybody else would, too. But we're doing it in real time on the ground in the places where it's actually working. And so when we when we do it, um, it's kind of battle tested. And so when we roll it out to the next place, it's, it's, it works, right? Um, because it's, if it can work, you know, if it can work here, it can work anywhere. Um, when you get to some of the yeah. places we're at, as, as you know, some of these rural sites are very, very remote and, and not always environmentally friendly. And so if you can make it work there, it really will work anywhere. And, and talk to that remoteness with, with the hardware that you've got in place in, in the mini grid. <clears throat> well, from a security point of view, have you found that actually, um, the community looks after the asset, uh, especially if it's seeing the returns from it. Uh, and so the security issue that one might assume from outside of the village, perhaps say in the city or, you know, internationally outside and, you know, just listening into what's going on in places like Kenya, you, you might assume some level of insecurity and therefore risk to your investment. But uh, I'd, I'd imagine, I mean, it's home for me, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll t- always talk it up. Are, are you finding the security issue around <laughs> protecting those assets, computers, etc., locally in those villages an issue? So generally, it's it's been great. I mean, we have a good relationship with the community, or the power producer does, so it works out fine. Um, and we're, we always uh, we are, we're always on site with the energy producer. So uh, wherever the powerhouse is, we just plunk a container down next to it, and that's where it runs. So there's there is some some security there, and you know that there's always a power operator on site too and so that provides extra security for everything we do however i do have a funny story which is um sometimes connectivity is an issue and what we do is we have to do uh, like a relay from a mobile phone tower uh to our site which is you know with with hydroelectricity is generally in a a river valley somewhere and so you're not going to get good connectivity so you have to do this relay in and that's usually it's an over air connection that we we um, we get the signal from an LTE or 4G tower, you know, might be five, 10 kilometers away. And then we relay that with uh, over the air Wi-Fi down to the site. Um, so we did this on one site and we put it up on the, the power pole that was running along the hill towards the community. And, um, you know, on it was a small solar panel and inside of a battery to keep it running at nighttime. And um, it worked great. Um, you know, two weeks later, somebody cut down the power pole. And, um, and so the whole community lost power because they lost power as well. And then they just stole the battery. The solar panel was left alone. The, you know, the, the relay was left alone. It was just the battery. 
And, um, you know, immediately the community and the, the, the elders and the chief were very upset and they started, you know, looking for the people who were behind this. And cause you know how small communities are in Africa, everybody, somebody knows something and, and, um, you know, uh, they were able to track down and, and take, um, take care of, of the security issue around that. So I think that goes to show that sometimes, you know, yeah, it did cause a little bit of a problem because we can't get, we can't get, um, repairs done right away. It takes three, three days or so. And, um, that's a lot of downtime for us, but at the end of the day, it, it, it actually ended up cementing the community relationship where, you know, the next time I was in town, I sat down with the, the chiefs and the, and the village elders and we talked about it and, you know, said that we're, we're committed to being here. Um, we do need them to be committed to making sure security of everything is taken care of. And, uh, we have not had an issue since on anything. And, um, so yeah, I mean, like you're going to have some issues, um, but generally speaking, the communities are, um, are very much enjoying having their electricity and they don't want to see any disruption in it. And any disruption to us is a disruption to their power. Well, f- fantastic. And I can really picture that. And, um, well, Eric, it's been fascinating talking to you. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Um, and looking forward to learning more from, uh, your peers innovating on, on the continent in uh, a variety of industry landscapes. Um, but for now, Eric Herzman, CEO of Gridless, thank you for joining us and uh, enjoy the rest of your day and week. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a good conversation. Join us at the Africa Climate Tech and Investment Summit in February, part of Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects. Please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code GREEN, that's G-R-E-E-N, and receive a discount off delegate passes. To hear our latest episodes, please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app. You can also visit africatechsummit.com for our upcoming events and news.